McShane Bible Study, day 86 and 87, and we're catching up two days because we were celebrating the Passover yesterday, preparing. Today is the first day of unleavened bread, and we're starting, we're finishing Exodus 39 and 40, and it was a lot of, you described it as boring, huh? <laughs> it was a lot of, uh, you know, what are the priestly garments, exactly how they were made, what they look like, which... Uh, it's kind of a lot of cool detail. I was, I was struck by the fact that they worked gold into the fabric so that it would be a shiny, a rep, just, you know, representing the glory of God on the priests. And they set up the tabernacle. And then in, in the very end, the glory of God comes in the tabernacle, which is, you know, a picture of the glory of God coming into his people. And so there's times and seasons. They, they were spending a lot of time setting this up. And then one day the glory came. This is, we're in the right time of year for all this. We talked about this um, a week or two ago. Um, that we're in the same time of year that they were doing this. And, and so I believe the Lord is bringing this in greater measure. And perhaps there will be a particular day like there was on this day or just a uh, just a, a growing presence of God with his people as darkness covers the world that the light of God shines brightly in those who are set apart for him. In John 17, we see the kind of the last of Jesus's uh, conversation with his disciples at the last supper and his, his prayer for us. So it's really powerful. And he, he he talks a lot about how glory comes about. And he talks about like in verse four, I have brought you glory, he's talking to the Father, on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So how can we glorify God? By doing the work he gives us to do, right? He gives us each different work and we actually bring glory to God when we are about the work that he gives us. And then he says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. So he knows God is going to glorify him, and he knows that he was a lamb sacrificed uh, the, you know, before the creation of the world, right? And so it's just amazing how these come together. And he, he continues on with the fact that it's all about unity. Him being, he's already been talking about that in the last couple of chapters, but he with the Father, the Father with him, and then he brings us into that. Specifically, he's talking to his disciples that are there, and then he specifically talks about us who were not there, right? Mm -hmm. And so he's, he continually goes back and forth with this concept of the glory of God being in us, on us, you know, a display to the world. And the unity of his life with us and with us, with each other. So he's in, you know, in the next chapter and he's before Pilate, he says, my kingdom's not of this world. He, he's talking about a culture. Do you know what a culture is? A country? A culture is kind of a way that a people are. So we have a certain culture in Texas that's different from other states. We have a culture as Americans that's different than other countries. If you went to another country, you for one, they probably have a different language, right? 
So that can be tied into culture, but they have a, a different way of thinking. They have a different way of doing things. All of those things are the culture of the people. Our culture as Texans or as Americans is, is no better than any other culture. They're all worldly cultures. There is a kingdom culture that is better than all other cultures. And so what he's saying and praying is that we come into his kingdom and learn his culture. That we begin to think, feel, and do, act as he thinks, feels, and acts. And so that we have a kingdom culture instead of the worldly culture. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, he, he says just, uh, what verse is that, 10? He says, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. So he's, again, just as he said, he brought glory to the Father. He's saying that we can bring glory to Jesus. He said, it's all tied together. We're, he's trying to bring us into a new life. He wants nothing to do with religion. He wants us to be transformed as individuals, and then more importantly, as a people, a people of God set apart from the ways of the world. And he goes on to talk about that. I'm not bringing you out of the world. I'm making you a people of God in the world. You see that? So it's, it's so deadly, this idea that we, we just have a religion that's all about what happens after we die. That's not at all what Jesus is. He's talking very specifically about what happens to a people in the earth, in their lives. You see that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is such a good thing to study and meditate on because it's just powerful. And when we, I mean, we could spend a lot of time dissecting every verse. But oh. he wants us to be completely unified with him and each other mm -hmm. and transformed, again, in our hearts and minds. Mm -hmm you and I, but then also as a people. And he's going to do that here during our lifetime. He's going to have, he's, it's going to be quite obvious, just like we talked about in Exodus, when the glory of God comes to the tabernacle, the yeah. glory of God coming to a people, people being set apart, being bold enough and desirous enough to separate from the ways of the world and live for him, him giving us his glory, his wisdom, his truth, and us unifying as a people that demonstrates who he is in the world to a hungry, scared people that need that. You see that? Mm -hmm. All right. In Proverbs 14 and 15, there's a couple of Proverbs in 14 that stood out to me. Um, verse 8 is the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. So he's saying if we're prudent, if we're wise, we actually think about our ways. Well, what were we just talking about? A kingdom culture. What does that have to do with? The way we live, the way we think, the way we are, right? Mm -hmm. And so here Solomon, a long time ago, is, is saying that that's prudence, that's wisdom to think about our ways, who we are, how we are. He says the fools just go about their ways without considering that. And he says it's a deception. And then verse 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. This goes to the same thing, that 
he's, we can have our own ways. God allows us to go our own way. And it might seem good to us. Maybe we get certain happiness out of certain things that we're doing. Or we achieve some sort of success in the world that we consider you know, good and valuable. Or whatever. It's, it's our own ways. It seems good to us. But here he's saying that leads to death. The only true good way is God's way, which leads to life. We're finishing up in Philippians chapters one and two. And so this book, so Paul is in chains for the gospel, right? He says, I'm in chains for Christ. And he gives a famous verse. He says, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And he says, I, I don't know which one I want. If I continue on in this life, it will be fruitful work. And that will be a blessing to many and therefore a blessing to God. But he said, I'd rather just go be with the Lord. I'm like, I don't want to be in this body anymore. I'd rather just go be with the Lord. But he says, I know that my, the, God's work for me is not done. And that I, I have work to help you. And therefore, I know that I'm not going to die in this jail. You see how different his way of thinking is versus most people? Most people who are stuck in jail would probably have a pretty bad attitude about things, right? And be worried, are they going to decide to kill me? Or are they going to let me go? What are they going to do? Paul is not thinking how normal people think. He's assessing the will of the Lord for his life. And he's, this whole book is about joy. He's stuck in jail in chains, having a difficult time, not knowing for sure if he's going to have enough food to eat. That's why Epaphroditus was sent. So, you know, he could have a little food. And, uh, and yet he's filled with joy and he's preaching and teaching joy to them. He says, it doesn't matter if I'm in chains. He says, as a matter of fact, great things have happened. The whole palace guard here has realized that I am in chains simply for Christ. I could be out of chains if I just gave up Christ. And so they're, they're kind of mesmerized by this. Why would anyone do what he's doing? He says the word of the Lord is spreading through this work. And let's see. And he, he's telling them again. This is again just like what we were talking, what Jesus was talking about. He says, um, Let's just start with 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved. So he's talking about this unity, the same unity that we were just talking about that Jesus was living and praying for us, that we come into this place. Paul's also talking about this. And he's saying this is a sign to the world that we actually have the Lord. We have something to offer. And when they realize that they don't have that, they realize it's a sign to their destruction. And also, of course, an invitation to come into this reality. But we see here the people of Paul's time were not living the fullness of this. Because then when he's talking about Timothy, he said, he is one who cares about your interests. He says, he's talking about everyone else that he's associating with. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy has proved himself. 
So we see here that Paul is realizing the people of his day are falling short of the reality of the glory of God, the full mm-hmm. kingdom come, right? Mm-hmm. So Paul was living in this amazing life as a mature son of God. And Timothy here, we see a picture of that in, in line with what the life Paul's living. But Paul also realizes that most of the people aren't. And so that's why at the, the very beginning of the first chapter, he's, he's talking about, it's my prayer for you that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with this fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He's talking about growing. He's talking about maturing. He's talking about the fullness of God coming into you. He says, you know, seek these things. He's talking to a Christian audience. But he says, there's so much more that you don't even realize is available to you. And so I'm praying that you seek the Lord for these things and that he completes this work in you. And I think that's about all I had. And uh, uh, I guess that's it for me today. God bless you. God bless you.